Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the rallies rode ahead. And why one member of our investment committee today argues concerns over the market being too top-heavy are just overstated. We'll discuss and debate as our panel makes several new portfolio moves today. Joining me for the hour, Joe Terranova, Kerry Firestone, Brian Belsky, and Steve Weiss. We will check the markets here. We got within about five points or so of S&P 5000. So naturally, we're on S&P 5000. Watch now for the, for the remainder of this day. We're 10 points away now. We're positive across the board. New York Community Bank, that continues to fall, so we're watching that. And, of course, the debate over whether this whole thing is too top-heavy, that rolls on. To which, Brian Belsky, good to have you back. Um, You're the one who argues that this all may be overstated, that we're overestimating the risks, so to speak, involving this concentration in the market. How so? I think we are. Thanks so much for having us. We published this note yesterday just because the consternation is so much top of mind for everyone, Scott. It doesn't matter if it's the media or clients or high net worth. Obviously, the big movement stocks we think in January this year is much different than it was last year for one note. But I think what we have found going back to 1990, that the average performance of the S&P 500 following a concentration of these 10 stocks the year before, the average performance the year following that is positive 14.3%. And I think it bodes well with... What do you res- mean, hold on a second. What, what kind of history are you looking at? I mean, we've only... It's not like this has always been the, been yeah. the case, where these are a select group of stocks. If you look at the top that are just 10, coming off of, a, of mark, a huge year, you what top, were you look at the 10 top, years ago? If you look at 1999, <laughs> since 1990, people love historical facts. I'm just giving you analysis, not reacting know, to no, what I'm happened. Du- I know, but I'm dumping on the historical facts. Please dump I don't on think it. They're legit. Well, you don't well, think 1999 it's, was, was that was followed by a very down year. Very yeah. Down so year. if you okay, so again, I'm not going to be a reactive person on television, reacting to what happened yesterday or last year or last week. My analysis is based on long-term historical facts. If you go back to 1990 and you look at the 10 largest companies in the S&P 500 by market cap historically, when they outperform, the next year the S&P 500 is up an average of 14%. We're just adding empirical evidence, Scott. Now, like I said in the beginning, I believe the move in January this year is very different than the move last year in January. And oh, by the way, the Magnificent Seven, which we warned people in the fourth quarter last year, are starting to see different fundamental trends. So we're starting to see some deviation there. But I mean, if you look, Kerry, NASDAQ year-to-date is up 4.5%. Equal weight S&P is up 0.5%. That's a pretty good indicator of just, you know, where this rally's been. The broadening since November 1st was legit until it wasn't. And then we're here wondering again what's going to cause the market to broaden out. And, and frankly, if it even matters. I'm not even suggesting that, that it matters. Uh, it's not for me to say. 
um, for now, it doesn't seem to matter. Obviously, if the S&P is nearing 5,000 yeah. and you're in the right stocks, then what does it matter? Well, what matters is the earnings growth of the companies that are producing the type of returns that we need to keep going higher. And what we've seen so far this year is of the five stocks, the magnificent five that have reported. So Apple had a quarter, you know, kind of as expected, Microsoft a little stronger, Amazon great quarter, Meta great quarter, Google disappointing quarter. And you saw that reflected in the stocks. Meta is the one that had the enormous drive up 24 percent year to date, I think it is. You know, Meta's Uh, Meta's up 32 percent. Year to date, okay? Yeah. 32% year to date, five weeks. But people had the estimates wrong. They earned more than the market had expected, and now the multiple is about the same. It's a little bit higher than the S&P. If you look at Google, their multiple is slightly premium to the S&P. Amazon, that multiple has been coming down for years. Because I mean, it was very, very high. It's still a high multiple, but they earned, they over-earned relative to expectations. And if you can keep doing that for these companies that have a growth rate two and a half to three times that of the S&P, not including themselves. Okay, you just then you, 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 you said deserve. the keywords. You said the keywords. If you can keep doing that, what leads us to believe that these companies can keep doing that at the rate they're doing it now to justify the growth in their multiple as well as their stock prices? Mm-hmm. As well as their stock prices. I, I guess we're relying on history, which unfortunately it sounds like you don't want to rely on, but the history has been a very strong one of seeing accelerated revenue growth. And now you introduce a new dynamic in particular for Meta where, okay, now they're going to buy back their stock. We're sitting at pay the, a dividend. We're sitting at the early stages of the buyback window opening as we press the S&P towards 5,000. And I just wonder how aggressive companies actually are going to be right now and how aggressive a lot of these mega cap companies are going to be. So listen, I think it's a rightful concern to look at mega caps and say to yourself, is the over-concentration uh, signaling something uh, as we move through 2024 that could be problematic? It's clearly not unique. Our good friend Tony Pascarello, mm-hmm. in his note this week, cited that if you go back and look at the Eurostoxx 50 from 2009, there's five stocks that have actually accounted for over 50% of the performance, ASML, SAP, LVMH, Total, and Siemens. So it's happened in other instances. It's happening here. I understand the concern. The concern is a rightful one. And remember, I run an equal weighted strategy. Let me be clear. Um, I'm not dumping all over the historical references that you make. I'm simply suggesting and you, maybe I'm wrong. We've never had this level of concentration in these kinds of stocks all in the same space. That's you fair. could say the 10 biggest stocks in 1992, well, they were all up and they were very concentrated. They weren't all in the same area of AI-related technology, were they? That's what makes this a little bit different. It's like this one area the market has deemed to be you know, so incredibly transformational, and I, I get it. It, it, is. it is, but to the point where valuations just go to the moon. Doesn't matter. Well, All in one area. You're a sports guy, so I think about the market as a baseball game. Baseball, they can mess with it as much as they can with respect to the rules, but it's always nine innings, three strikes, you're out, four balls. 
uh, and you walk to first base. But the players change, right? So in the 90s, we're going to go back there, you had, you had um, the consumer staples names that were the big names put uh, in the mega cap names that were pulling it, pulling it higher. What we're saying is this. You're right. In terms of the concentration now, technically, we have three different sectors in the Magnificent Seven. Yeah, have, but that's only but, because Comp Services is a that, new set. But I mean, well, you know exactly what I'm talking exactly, about. Exactly. But what I'm saying, too, is that if you're a money manager and you're benchmarking yourself against sectors, you have to play that, you have to play that game differently. What I'm saying is this. I don't think that you can just look at five weeks or four weeks. You have to look at since the market hit that low in October. If you look at the most recent low of the markets in October till now, you have actually very broad participation. You have value up over 17%. You have Smith up over 17%. You've got growth up 21%. They're all within about 350 basis points of each other. Yes. So that's more broad than most people you know, think. It's fair to say from you know, November 1st, Weiss, it's, it's fair to say from November 1st to now, the market is, I mean, it was broad. Uh, because if you, if you look at gains, for example, in the Russell 2000 versus NASDAQ, um, it's, I don't know, high double digit percent, 17, 20 percent, whatever, versus a little bit more than that in the, in the NASDAQ. But uh, more, more recently, it's gotten more narrow again. I think that's the point. Yeah, look, I mean, there's reason to be concerned, uh, to, ha to have concerns about it being so concentrated, if that's how you think about it. But to Brian's point, I see broadening. I see stocks I own that have had maybe not the performance of Meta, but have had pretty good performance, whether it's, you know, VRT or, uh, or, or pick others, you know, pick a Goldman's had a nice run of it lately. But here's what I'd say about it. I'd say that the opportunity set has changed versus even a year ago or two years ago. So does Microsoft in, you know, enjoy and should deserve the inflated multiple that it has? Absolutely, because you've opened up a whole new opportunity set, both in AI in their office products, but also in the cloud, which is going to need much more cloud storage, much more computing power, et cetera. So it deserves it. So, so I focus on the fundamentals, and I say, do the fundamentals support the valuations? And where else do the fundamentals, are, are they not supporting it? I stay away from those, and I go to these that support it. But I also find it in aerospace. I don't find defense broadly. I find it in some financials if I look at the second half. So it's not such a narrow advance, but they're names that we all know. And to Brian's point also, if you're in the benchmark, and most active managers are in a benchmark, you can't ignore those. So to me, that's the fluff if they're not fully committed to the fundamentals of the company, and that's where the cost is. But if I look out a year, two years, five years, it's going to be the same companies, with the exception of an Apple that's tired, I think products, you know, are falling off, et cetera. So I, th I think part of the point, point, I think part of the point, too, though, is the the outperformance from the mega caps, comm services and tech. You can cherry pick areas from the rest of the market and say, well, look, that stock's up a lot. That that's that's broadening out. I'm not saying that everything has been negative. But it's the gains are dwarfed by comm services over the last month, which is up 12 percent. Information technology is up 12 and a half. Utilities are negative. Energy is negative. Materials are negative. Mm -hmm. Healthcare staples, they're up 3 percent, respectively, uh, 3.9 and 3.305, um, respectively. That's more 
of what I'm getting at. The question is, what is going to cause the market to really broaden out in a meaningful way? Wolf today, Carrie, says, given the valuation discounts today, many investors are looking for an opportunity to invest in the most cyclical early cycle assets. While such assets may have tactical opportunities to shine, the economy is unlikely to return to early cycle without a proper recession. So they're saying those other stocks are not going to be reliably working until you have a real recession. Others say they're not going to work until you have the first real rate cut, not in anticipation of, but the actual cut. Well, I I think that the broader market works when it recognizes that GDP is, in fact, growing faster than expected and that we begin to see through this year better earnings from different sectors such as industrials and healthcare and even banking. And you're beginning to see signs of that. I mean, as we've talked about, some of the stocks in healthcare working, in consumer staples working, and GDP is growing better than expected. Interest rates are not going up and inflation continues to come down. So there's no reason that we shouldn't have more than just, you know, these magnificent names go higher. And they should go higher if they, all of them, if their earnings continue to grow. And there's no reason that their multiples of much of the market won't expand. Sure, but like, let's take NVIDIA, okay? Let's take NVIDIA, yeah. for, for example. Because that seems to be at the center of the whole storm of this, where this conversation has, has been going. You had an $800 price target, I think, from Goldman Sachs the other day. Now you get Morgan Stanley raising the price target to 750 You had Josh Brown yesterday on the program saying he's been in NVIDIA longer than anybody on the show say that he trimmed 20% because he looked at it and like, this is like people have lost their minds. Those were his words, not mine. Aswath Demodarin, he is the so-called Dean of Valuation, okay, at the NYU Stern School of Business. He owns NVIDIA along with all of the other MAG7 stocks, okay? He looks at this and says, I mean, this is kind of insane relative to the other MAG7s. I want you to listen to what he told us and then we'll debate it. Yeah, you bought these stocks at the right time. They were amazing buys at some point in time. At today's prices, I mean, all of the stocks looked overpriced. But I think NVIDIA stands out as particularly overpriced. I mean, just to get a collective sense of what these seven companies account for in the S&P 500, these seven stocks alone account for 70% of the overall market cap of the index. They account for 11% of the revenues but they do account for 27% of the gross profit. So they're very profitable, very valuable companies. And you can get pretty close to the current prices for the other companies, NVIDIA can't even get close. Can't even get close, says the Dean of Valuation, who owns the stock and looks at the price appreciation and is like, this is insane. Okay, so here's the challenge that we have. The challenge that we have is understanding the the intuitive observation of individuals surrounding something that appears to be extreme, that appears to have the exuberance. Josh shaves NVIDIA. The professor believes that the mega caps might have an extreme valuation. There's a move that I made later in the show where you could cite the same type of condition. Mm -hmm. The problem collectively with all of that is that This dominance of angry algos, as you called them last week, in quantitative capital doesn't care about that stuff. And momentum so far in this quarter is having its strongest performance that it has had since the fourth quarter of 2020. Momentum is up 11% so far year to date. Momentum is dominating the market. And now you could look at that, you could say, okay, 
We don't care what technical say. We don't care what momentum says. But momentum is in control of the market right now. And the reason that it is in control of the market is these mega caps have given the momentum players strong fundamentals to work. It only matters. It only matters too, Brian, I, I guess, to round back to the top. If you're in the wrong stocks, then it matters. And it matters if these stocks falter and there's no pickup from the laggards. That's why there is commentary, whether it's Barron's or elsewhere, suggesting the foundation of the market starting to crack because some of the MAG-7 stocks are getting peeled away. That's why we talk about MAG-5 right. in some respects. Yes. Right. So if you kind of go back and look at your process in terms of investing, you buy stocks because of fundamentals, and I think actually you sell stocks because of fundamentals as well. And so uh, Joe's completely right. All of our factor work in terms of the quant stuff that we run, it's momentum. And that always has me a little bit worried on a short-term basis that we could be seeing a peak. That's why we're not going to be surprised if we get some sort of a correction here. We also talk about that uh, in our report. But But you you own NVIDIA, right? You own NVIDIA? Yeah. When When you look at that and you look at what is a straight up line, right? Yep. I don't know what time period we can pull up a longer longer than uh, intraday on, on NVIDIA, for example. I don't know, what is it? You want to put six months? You want to put a year? No. What do you want to put up? There you go. I mean, that shows the story. Yeah, I mean, that kind of trend it makes obviously makes me a lot, very worried, but at the end of the day, I've owned this stock for five years. And when I, I learned the business a long time ago from one of my great mentors, William O'Neill, and you ride your winners. That doesn't mean that you sell here. I would sell the stock entirely if I saw something fundamentally changing operationally or management-wise, and I just don't see that. Now, it's going to be one of my core holdings just as f- uh, four of the other five Meg 7s are. You bought, the new buys you have are away from tech, Chesapeake, DoorDash, yep. uh, Gilead. You, Chesapeake's new. You bought more of DoorDash and, and Gilead, and you did trim United Health. You want to just, you don't have to go through each and every move, but what's the spirit of these moves? Well, Karen talked a little bit about healthcare. Now, healthcare is a, one of our neutral sectors. It's a big sector, so you want to make sure that you're broadly, uh, I think, diversified within that. We were a little bit overweight, United Healthcare, and we wanted to add to Gilead and just because of the balance sheet and the dividend side of things. DoorDash has been a great winner for us, uh, and we took some out of another consumer discretionary stock in our Smid Cap universe. Chesapeake, we love our small mid cap analyst, and he gave us a great name, Oventive, and we, took, we rode that for a year and took profits in that and went into Chesapeake. Chesapeake, just, just a matter of kind of diversifying and getting, now from a longer term perspective, right now we're underweight large cap energy, but we're more neutral mid cap energy. You want to um, comment to, let's do Snap as well, because we, we have several big movers today to go through. Um, Snap is, is sinking and sinking badly today, um, almost 35%. That's on a revenue miss, light guidance. Evan Spiegel was on in, in, in the last hour, worst day since July of 22. You bought this on February 1st. Yeah. You still own it today? We do. So we're hampered a little bit by our process because of our low turnover portfolios. Because we're publishing analysts, we have to publish the report and then buy the stock. We rarely buy things mid-month, Scott, so we were teeing this up. And we probably should have waited until after the earnings, but again, do our process. Probably. Yeah, thanks, thanks. <laughs> I mean, with much humility, we're wrong. But at, at the end of the day, we like this name longer term because we believe in the communication services sector in terms of, of cash content and, and consolidation. We think it's got great content, and we think it's going to be a winner relative to the mega cap. How do you own it? Equal weight or market cap weight? No, we're, we're, no, we're underweight the market cap of that because it's in the SMID index. We, we're underweight the, the so stock, but we own it. You guys see cyber stocks today. Uh, Fortnite, really, the catalyst on the, the earnings there. You know, Stephanie Link. 
Um, good for you on that uh, because she owns that stock. She's talked about it a lot. But the run-on effect in some of these other names is pretty extraordinary today. CrowdStrike, Palo Alto, Checkpoint. There's Fortinet today. Um, it's off its highs of the day, but you get my point. If you show CrowdStrike and Palo Alto, that leads me to Joe. He teased it earlier. You sold one-third of CrowdStrike. I did. And, uh, because this stock is up 120% since you bought it last August. Correct. So, August of 23. Again, this, this, is an, it, this is an intuitive observation from an individual, which is probably going to be wrong. Um, Don't I, say that. I, I, no, I, I, listen, I believe in cybersecurity. I believe in cybersecurity. We have Checkpoint. We have Palo Alto Network in the strategy. We had Fortinet. Um, we sold out of Fortinet. Congratulations to Stephanie. Up 9% Q4 billings is really strong. But I am significantly overweight cybersecurity. And I think longer term, that's exactly how you want to be. So the strategy was buying Checkpoint. It was buying Palo Alto in October. Those were great buys. I was able to personally buy CrowdStrike in August. And I'm just looking at the performance right now and say, okay, let's trim the position a little bit. Let's see if I'm right. Who knows? I hope I'm wrong because I still have two thirds remaining of the crowd. Sure, but the, the message of the committee of late, uh, Carrie, is whether it's Josh with Nvidia, 20% off top, Joe with taking some off the top of CrowdStrike, of Stephanie Link selling out of Meta, Meta. completely, missing the 20 plus percent, but saying, you know what, I made a lot, I don't even care. Um, that's the message of the committee lately mm -hmm. is actually doing some trimming off the top of these massive winners. Well, we haven't trimmed any of our our, our big winners, these big tech names. Uh, we've added Meta to included. technology. We have Meta not. included. We have not. And because of the move in these stocks, weights that were high have gotten higher, and it's something that we have to consider. Uh, I think it's it's fine to always sell some of a stock where you've made money. Right? No one should have a problem with a profit. And everyone who complains about paying taxes, they're paying taxes on profit. They still have profit. Uh, it's what you do with the money. If people just sit on the sidelines, that's different. If they are putting it into other names, that helps the rest of the market. That's part of the bullish case for the S&P overall. But, you know, just don't, let's not forget that when we talk about this being different from other times in history, it is because the size of these stocks, their well, sales is so much greater. Their profits, so much greater. Do you, do you realize that Apple earns the same amount of money as the entire pharmaceutical industry with less sales. You know, it has 385 billion versus 585, same profits for the whole industry. Okay. Uh, How I about just, this? Hang on. Yep. Hang on. Because like clockwork, um, Marco Kalanovic at JP Morgan has dropped a new note <laughs> oh, yeah. as we are on the air. <laughs> and it's perfect segue from what Kerry's <laughs> talking about that suggesting that, well, unlike other times in history, this isn't um, ridiculous. He suggests otherwise, quote, market concentration continues to flash a warning sign as we are near the highs of the dot-com era. Stocks at highs effectively means that stocks are not pricing in any chance of recession and a low VIX echoes the strong sentiment. The current period is in some ways worse than the dot-com bubble. That's what he says. Yes, Steve Weiss, you want to you want to attack that? I, I, I think. Yeah, I do. I think it's ridiculous. Dot-com era, which I which I recall very, very well because I probably allocated a few hundred deals during that time. Those companies didn't make money. They didn't have market share. They were, they were purely up on air. So you can't compare the two. That's a ridiculous comparison in my view. Well, he and says, by the way, if, if, he, if a recession he says, happens, 
Let I, me tell you what yeah. he says, because he, he, I mean, he's, he's okay. specific in what he's suggesting. He says, even as we didn't achieve as high a forward P.E. as we saw in March of 2000, when viewed from the perspective of an earnings yield spread of the top 10 versus the rest of the index, the current period's actually worse. In addition, the spread between cap weight and EPS weight is worse than in the dot-com era. And the sector composition was better then, with only four sectors represented in the top 10 versus six sectors in 2000. So what do you, what do you say? I'm saying the same thing. It's a ridiculous comparison. You can cherry pick data points, but if you look at the fundamentals of the dot-com era, they just didn't compare to the fundamentals now. You had companies, by the way, like Cisco that were selling at 100 times earnings. Yeah. That is yep. a GDP grower. So I don't agree with that, number one. <clears throat> number two, what, what, I'd, what I'd also say about that is that in a recession, what I want to own are fortress balance sheets, cash flow machines, and companies that aren't impacted by recession. So Snap's a perfect example. If we go into recession, where do you think the ad dollars are going to go? They're going to continue to go from Snap to a Meta, to a Google, to an Amazon. So these are perfectly positioned for that. I think we make too much of it. If you want to talk about overvaluation, go back to cyber. I mean, those stocks are ridiculously valued despite the opportunity set. So, so I'm not troubled by it. I disagree with that note completely. I, I think it's, it's, it's human nature to look at the significant rally that we have had since the end of October and say, okay, th this needs to cool off a little bit. And what you have in front of us is white hot momentum. And no one knows how long the white hot momentum can continue. I understand the concern that individuals have that we're pulling forward too much performance to the front of the year. That's the Ed Yardeni thesis, that you pull too much forward. So with all that in context, it's okay to look at equities right now and say, okay, I'm going to trim a little. Little. But Correct. that doesn't mean you're at an inflection point. I All know, it means is the momentum ultimately will cool. No one knows when, it's, though. It's, it's only human but, but nature. But it's fine. But Go ahead, just Wes. one quick comment, Scott, if I can. It, it, it's fine, but you take a look at the professor. He still owns NVIDIA. And why does he own NVIDIA? Because he believes ultimately the fundamentals will catch up to the valuation. So you're faced with a choice when you own these stocks. There's never anything wrong with taking a profit. But do I sell? and pay taxes, or do I ride out the momentary, perhaps, overvaluation? That's what I look at. In two years, if I sold, I'd be unhappy that I sold. So I yeah. stick with the winner. All right, well, we got other winners to talk about, too, because we have many stocks on the move still to get to. Fresh highs today for Uber, Chipotle, Palantir, ownership of all of them on this very desk today. We'll trade them next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. 
Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Big movers still to hit today, including Uber. The stock right there, it's reversed. Actually, it's positive now. It was negative after the top and bottom beat. So, Weiss, you bought more of this stock. Speaking with momentum, uh, this run has been extraordinary. Uh, year to date, it's up 15.5%. It's up near 60% in six months. Yeah, so, look, we, we talk about momentum and share price, but... We, we don't often talk about momentum and fundamentals. So the momentum and the fundamentals continues to improve. I bought some actually right after the opening, then starts to rally, then it dipped again to the opening level, so I bought a little more then. So, so it's a pretty decent-sized position. There's scarcity value here. The company's extraordinarily well-run. I mean, you would never have thought the company would be what it is today versus the IPO, where it's purely moving people around. So I continue to like it, and I continue to think that it's going to perform. They talk about Japan. They talk about Asia. Those are virtually untapped markets. So the growth remains there. I'm staying with this one and adding to the winner. I love the way that Weiss put that, momentum and fundamentals, because it is short-sighted to only look at the momentum in a multiple and the momentum in the stock price. Um, and you can apply you know, to Meta when you talk about momentum and fundamentals and NVIDIA. At some point, you have to wonder if the momentum sort of starts to outpace the, the fundamentals in, in, in some respects. You own Uber as well, that, that, and you, you're holding on to it. No, that's, that's fair to make that assessment, but I, I, I agree with Steve. There's momentum and fundamentals, and it's been obvious that this company has seen an acceleration in the strong fundamental momentum of, over the past year. This is a company that's going to ultimately increase its buyback. This is a company that's had its first annual operating profit. This is a company that's improved its balance sheet and it's positioned itself remarkably well. Here we are, 71.17. I think the company goes well above $80. It's seeing strength in mobility. It's seeing strength in delivery. And it absolutely obliterated, which I keep pointing out, Lyft. Brian, you want it too? We do. Who would have thought Weiss and I were so aligned on a day like this? It's just amazing. Um, <laughs> no, we bought it late last summer. I talked about living by the sword, die by the sword. We bought it at, at the beginning of a month, I think August 1 last year, after mm-hmm. this uh, after the stock was really getting hit. So we really like the name in terms of diversifying. Remember, it's an industrial name, uh, and we like the growth that it actually brings to industrial stocks, especially given the fact that we, we see more earnings growth on the domestic side of industrial, so that's why we really, really like it. Joe, Chipotle, and Palantir. Uh, both your stocks, both hitting new 52-week highs today, and both up quite nicely. There's uh, almost 9% for Chipotle. Palantir um, surged huge yesterday. You weren't on, obviously, but here we go. So, you know, Steve brought this up, and you talk about companies that have strong technical momentum and st- companies that have strong fundamental momentum. And Chipotle has that. This company is clearly the definition of quality in terms of servicing the consumer. Palantir, I will candidly say this, I would never have bought this stock individually. And this is why I believe a rules-based approach is the right approach in the marketplace. The strategy identified, 
the profitability, the birth of profitability that appeared, and the strategy was then subsequently rewarded with ridiculous momentum post-earnings. Um, obviously, we're benefiting from that over the last several days, but it's a credit, I believe, to having that discipline and having a rules-based process when you're looking at markets. All right, good stuff. Let's get the headlines now with Bertha Coombs. Hey, Bertha. Hey, how are you? Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has agreed to testify at a congressional hearing to answer questions about why he didn't notify top officials of his hospitalization. Austin returned to the Pentagon last week and apologized for failing to properly notify the White House and top Pentagon staff of his cancer and treatment. That hearing will be held at the end of the month. The EPA announcing new, stronger air quality standards today. The standards lower the levels of soot emitted by 25 percent, which officials say will save lives, preventing up to 4,500 premature deaths and 290,000 lost workdays. States will need to meet those new standards by 2032. And NASA's Axiom Mission 3 crew is heading back home to Earth today after being delayed for weather. The crew's uh, Dragon capsule undocked from the ISS this morning after spending 18 days there conducting experiments. And it's set to splash down off the coast of Florida Friday morning. Scott, back over to you. Bertha, thanks so much. This is Bertha Coombs. All right, coming up, we have another move to tell you about Brian Belsky buying more of a stock that seemingly goes up every day. And so does the price targets. All right, we'll do it next. Black-owned businesses secured a little over $2 billion in venture capital in 2022. That's a lot of money, but it represents less than 1% of the more than $200 billion pool of venture capital. Many agree this means there's more opportunity to invest in founders of color. Celebrating Black Heritage, I'm Sharon Epperson. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started. We're back. We'll get to Brian Belsky's move in just a moment. We do have another one. Carrie, we didn't get to yours in the A block, so let's do it here. You bought Paycom? Did. Fresh Buy. Yes, why? absolutely. Okay, why? It's a technology company. It's in the HR world. Uh, they serve small and mid-sized companies. The economy is growing. People are still adding jobs. We think that this is a sector that is going to continue to grow. Uh, they also are a stock that had a little mishap. It's down 40%. It has a great long-term record. It's selling for the lowest PE since it IPO'd. And so we, we see a lot of potential to it. That's it? <laughs> Wasn't that good? I did it fast. And I want to say Just hi to Steve. We miss Steve. I miss you, Steve. All right, cool. Nice shout out, too. Thank you. 
Uh, Brian Belsky, you bought more Eli Lilly. That's the one I was talking about. Yeah. Price target up to 850 at Truist today. Like I said, the stock has been a, a juggernaut. It's up almost, feels like every day it goes up. And so does the optimism. Yeah, we have some some good news surrounding us here today. Now, we've we've owned Lilly for a number of years, Scott, and what we've done the last couple of years in particular is unwound a lot of our other pharma um, stocks and put them into Lilly being more concentrated. And then through that, obviously, uh, we got lucky with respect to the weight loss drug side of things. And we've known the company for a long time, owed to our friends in Indianapolis. But at, at the end of the day, healthcare is such an important sector. Remember last year, a lot of people were bullish. Uh, on the sector, mm-hmm. and given the fact that you know it's much more diversified, I think you have to have that kind of holding in pharma devices and some of biotech. But Lilly's been a long-term holding; we love it. It's a, now it's the largest stock in the S and P 500 healthcare. It is up almost six percent. Healthcare, yeah. That, that, mm-hmm. that being. Do we yeah. think this is like if you're going to? Okay, let's say you just refuse to buy uh, tech. Weiss, if you refuse to buy comp services at this point, you don't want to buy tech. What about healthcare? Is this the natural place to go and look now or what? Yeah, healthcare is kind of interesting. You know, I just started buying, for example, which I apologize for not mentioning to you guys, Lidos. Lidos report earnings next week. It's defense, but they also have about 20% of the business come from healthcare. So it's a technology company that uh, is in uh, primarily aerospace, airports, flight, you know, towers, uh, you know, metal, uh, you know, detectors at the TSA lines, but the healthcare business is growing nicely. So I think you've got to find healthcare where there is that growth. Right now, costs are running away. You have had some nice hits, like in the hospitals, for example, HCA. So you got to be very, very selective. As you know, I got rid of my UNH and mm-hmm. I got rid of my Humana. UNH might be a mistake in the long term, but healthcare can't continue to underperform as it has. It's just too big a part of the GDP. Kara, you're betting that his UNH sales a, a mistake, right? Because yeah. you, you own that stock. Yeah, uh, I think that it's traded around uh, news, and some of the hospital companies have had trouble. Humana, you know, we, we've heard bad news. This is a great company that has a lot of, uh, I think, momentum. Talking about in its whole uh, HMO side of the business, Optum, uh, we think it still has big cash flow. It's a dividend payer. It's a leader in its field, and we think that it will continue to show better numbers than. The the street is now thinking about, and it, it's uh, it's healthcare, and healthcare should outperform this year. Joe T. Healthcare benefits from working off the COVID comps, and that's exactly what's now yeah. going to unfold over the coming quarters. It's a place of opportunity for sure. In the in the instance of Eli Lilly, there's more to go in this stock. The analyst community, while they are upgrading it recently, 24 buys, six holds, two sells. Mm-hmm. The stock price today, 724. The 12-month price target of all the analysts, 723. They think Mm. it goes nowhere. It's going up. Okay. Coming up, we have Disney on deck. We'll get the setup from the desk ahead of its results in overtime tonight. First though, Mike Santoli has his midday word, and he'll be here next. Markets commentator Mike Santoli joins us now with his midday word. I'm glad you're here to continue the conversation, which Mr. Belsky says of the two top heavy market overhyped, overblown, overstated, and has historical 
data to back yeah. up his argument, well, too. Well, I, I agree. There, there's, first of all, there's no textbook, historically rigorous way to say this is how markets that show these divergences resolve. In other words, it's not like this is always how it happens before a peak or something like that. You've had these periods where, you know, it, it's basically gone on for a little while. It's just been noise. I also keep pointing out today is another day when you have like 150 new 52-week highs on the New York Stock Exchange against like 40 new lows. So it's not, again, it's not six stocks versus nothing. Um, the other interesting part, though, of this market right here is that the way the market plays defense actually feeds the highest momentum names, right? If you go back almost a year ago, the way we had the divergences really start to take hold was the Silicon Valley bank crisis, okay? Mm -hmm. Everyone braced for financial conditions tightening up, banks crashed, small caps had some trouble, and the market just migrated toward quality. And this is what it is. The the top-heavy market is really a preference for quality. So if you're complaining about it, it's saying, what's wrong with this market? Only People only want to buy the best companies with the clearest earnings growth pass. You know what I mean? So there's something perverse about that. That being said, everything gets overdone eventually. I mean, look, Kalanovic, you, 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 yeah. I'm not sure if you, you were listening at that moment, but Marco Kalanovic, new note, says this is all worse than the, dot, than the dot-com era. How do you well, I mean, you have to tell me what you're measuring. Is it just growth over value? Is it large cap versus small cap? Is, it's certainly not absolute valuation, um, you know, in terms of being distorted. Uh, showed that yesterday. It's definitely not the general frothiness of the market. 1999, I keep pointing out, you had almost 500 IPOs. The average first day pop was 90%. We, we can't find an IPO here, and the ones we get don't do well. Yeah. So, I mean, you could talk to me about why would the market is valued for perhaps subpar returns going ahead. The market's overplayed its hand in some of the, the, the biggest momentum names, something like that. But I don't know if you can draw it back to, guess what? The market is going to be cut in half in two years and be dead money for a decade, which is what was happening in I'll read in you what he said. Um, he said the spread between cap weight and EPS yeah. weight is worse than in the dot-com era. And the sector composition was better then with only four sectors represented in the top 10 versus six sectors in 2000. We come to a similar conclusion on stocks via cross-asset risk premium. Yeah. I'm not going to deny that in every sector, people want to buy the most expensive, high-quality stuff. That's what, that's, that is what's going on. I just don't know if it really knits back to, you know, we're as far over our skis uh, as, as back then. Is I mean, it, doesn't that mean it's a healthy market, though, if you want to buy the, the quality well, names? Well, it's, it's healthy in a sense. I mean, at least it's anchored in something. I, I would agree with that. Now, again, you can overplay it. The Nifty 50 in the early 70s was buying the best companies, and you could never pay too much for them. That didn't work out well. I like what you, how you put it earlier, though. It's, this group is so unique in that, and I'm trying to think of other examples where you've been able to play offense and defense yeah. with the same exact small group of stocks. That no, it's very feels true. extraordinary to me. I also find it, it, it there's something else that seems very different, which is there were always stocks in the market, whether it was Chipotle or Lululemon, or they had some just these afterburner secular growth forces behind them, and they just went and went and went, and they killed shorts all the whole way up. But they just weren't the biggest stocks in the market. 
Like the, that's the problem. The biggest ones in the market are acting like the story stocks that just had a huge runway ahead of them. So I don't know. It can get unstable at some point. I'm not going to deny that. I've always thought this market, the, this rally had 50-50 or a little over 5,000 written all over the destination, and then you might have to have a reset. Yeah, well, we're going we're gonna to continue to watch the S&P 500, which is marching towards uh, S&P 5,000. Yeah. Coming up, we'll give you the setup for more key earnings coming our way. Key earnings on deck, including Disney and overtime tonight. Brian Belsky, you own that stock, which has been on the move lately, heading into the number. I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing, but what do you think? Well, we're finally up on Disney. We're real early on it, but no, we, we think uh, I think the earnings are going to be pretty good. I, I would be surprised not. And plus, I think there's some momentum there in terms of feeling better about the stock, meaning in terms of, of just reputational risk kind of going away. And Iger's doing the right thing in terms of content. And we got Deadpool coming out. Everyone shouldn't be excited about that. Yeah, well, I mean, if you back the chart, out more, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about, the fact that it has been up. Yeah. Yeah, Bob Iger's on 4 o'clock today exclusively on this network, by the way. O'Reilly, Carrie, uh, that's today as well in overtime. Yeah, so O'Reilly has been a great stock. I think it's at a uh, 12-month high here and continues to chug along. People are driving more. Price of gas has been cooperative. Uh, the new car sales have gone up. Uh, that means people have been selling new cars into the used car market, which had a shortage, and that helps with parts and servicing that O'Reilly provides. So it's it's been a great stock. We've trimmed it a couple times. But we still own an, uh, a good position. Okay, and uh, Joe, quick on Expedia tomorrow. Little new 52-week high today, sorry. 52-week high. I'm a little concerned that they're engaging in a spending war with Airbnb. If you watch the AFC and NFC championships, you saw the commercials for Vrebo before the Super Bowl. You're going to see more of them. I don't want them spending that much money on marketing. All right. We'll do final trades next. I got a big closing bell coming up 3 o'clock Eastern time. Just a couple hours from now, Josh Brown's going to be here with me. We'll get the latest on his New York community bank trade as well. Find out what's happening there. Obviously, the Uber run today was pretty extraordinary, too. Uh, the PIMCO playbook from Aaron Brown, Laura Martin, ahead of Disney, so I hope you'll join me. Carrie, you have a new write-up um, about the concentration yeah, issue on CNBC.com, so please check that out. Uh, CNBC.com slash pro. Kara, congratulations for doing that. Thank, Thank you. you for that. Uh, final trades. Weiss, what do you got? Transdyne, they're going to report tomorrow morning. They've got some Boeing exposure, but won't affect the fourth quarter. Just a stellar company, very steady. Okay. B. Belsky. Sonos, S-O-N-O, Bluetooth speaker company. We own it in the Smidcap Index for our portfolio for four years. Love the company. Kerry. Thermo Fisher, Tim. Oh, it's getting through the COVID uh, drought and coming back. Joe. West Pharmaceuticals. All right, good stuff. We are going to watch the S&P, see if we can get to 5,000. I'll see you on Closing Bell. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit CNBC.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. From a flat tire in the city 
through a dead battery on a distant drive. AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.